Ashley Brockring, I am Palmer's Book Protector, Chapter 17, and it's the last chapter. It's the raciest chapter, and it's also the cutest chapter. And it's also, this is the last book in the long talk collection series that I own. The traffic through the little cafe in San Antonio, Texas, was slow but steady. Two men sat in a booth with red vinyl seats sipping cups of black coffee. One was the mayor of a small town over the border in Mexico. The other was a state senator with an interesting background, most of which was unknown to the voting public. It will take a lot of money to get me elected, the politician told the drug lord. You know what's at stake. If I have the power, I can help you. Yes, but there's no guarantee that you can win this election, Charmander said, shrugging. It may be only a dream, or may not. I have friends in high places and some in very low places. Who can assure that I get the victory? Mike Helm smiled, a cold, practiced, formal smile that he used with campaign. A little cash here, a little intimidation there, and I'm in. I suppose it helps that the incumbent is too old to lift a cup and eaten up with diseases, Charles said sarcastically. He may not last last until the next election. In that case, I'll be a shoe in, Helm replied. I have a friend who'll make sure I can get appointment appointed to fill out his term. Take much for granted, Charles replied. Politician lives out. I know how things work, that's all. I'm no newcomer to politics. I've been in elected office since what I was out of college. Done very little with them except to enrich himself, but Charles didn't say so. Listen, I'll make sure you don't get hassled at the border with your transports, Holmes said earnestly. All you have to do is make an investment. Hell, one of your pistols would get me elected. They're worth a small fortune. Charles lifted his head proudly. I was born to a family of farmers, he said. I worked in the fields from dusk until dawn until my back almost broke. Then one of the Fruto's brothers took pity on me and gave me a job as a runner. I was very good at it. Kept me on, and I advanced higher and higher and higher. And so now I take the place of El Rondo. Maybe he, may he rest in peace. Yes, you're good at your trade. I have earned the right to these fancy weapons, you see, he added coldly. They are a sign of my wealth and intelligence. Intellect. They tell people that I am wealthy. Sure they do. I will be better patron than my predecessor, and I will make more money than he did. I tend to gain more territory, only at half pace stands in my way, and I'll find ways to deal with him before I am through. I believe you. About the cash. Carol's eyes. I will help you, but remember your promise. He smiled. It was an icy tug of his because I do not forgive betrayal. Helm had heard about Charles and Fortune Lindo. This man sitting across from him had killed the man in cold blood. Rumor was that he had a new enforcer much worse than Lindo. So you know about Lindo, do you? He chuckled. Good. You can see that I am a man of my word. I have a replacement for him. He indicated a tall blonde man with one eye standing at the door. He is very good. He calls himself Staten. I do not know if he has other names. He looks shady, Helm muttered. But of course he does, Charles Blanton. He is very experienced in his field. Which is, Helm added, Charles' assassination. Helm reached for his coffee cup and sipped the cold liquid. Look what he's going to have to walk a narrow pass with these people, but without their financial support, he'd be stuck in the state register forever. He wanted more. He was intelligent, and he was ambitious. But what he wanted most was wealth, tons of it. This man could help him, so he had to be pleasant, even as he was repulsed. But Charles was saying it would be worth it in the long run. At the doorway, Stanton Rook tried not to look smug. He had a friend told him to Charo as an experienced hired killer, and Charo had sent him sent for him. 
He had a whole world of fake identities that he could assume when he needed to. This was one of them. He needed to know who had killed the little computer tech Joey, so beloved by the men in Ed Scott's mercenary group. They all wanted revenge, but first, they had to find the men responsible and the computer that contained enough information on the DEA mold to expose him. Now he's learning other things of value. That's another helm. There was dickering with his boss for money to help run a campaign for the United States Senate. What a combination they made. The little mayor and the tall, sleazy politician. What a pity, Rick thought probably, that he was going to find the means to bring them both down. First, he wanted to find the people who killed Joey. And this was the only way to do it. <clears throat> Haynes Carson was sitting in his office when a stranger walked in the door. Haynes was much better. His arm was healing. The cold bothered it, but the therapy was giving him more range of motion by the day. Marriage suited him as well. Manette was all he could ever want in a woman. He loved her. He loved her family, too. He was happier than he ever been in his life. Cocked his head as the one-eyed man with blonde hair probed him. I don't know you, he said. I think you might, he said in a crisp South African accent. Rook. Rook, Haynes explained. That would be me. He sat down on the chair in front of Haynes. I wanted to give you some interesting news. What? State Senator Matt Helm. Stay. State Senator Matt Helm is having conversations with my new boss about financing his federal state Senate campaign. He said, drug lords with mouthpieces in Congress. Think about it. Horrible, Haynes said. But what do you think I could do about it? Jacobs was far away from Austin. I know, but there was just news in passing. He leaned for his own. I'm afraid the people who killed Joey, he said, I think my new boss. I'm after the people who killed Joey, he said. I think my new boss was one of them, but I have to be sure. I don't want to take him down in Mexico. I want him tried. But murder here in Jacobs County. What happened? Ain't raised both there. Your new boss. Oh, that. I'm working for Chiron Menendez. The drug lord. Hold it, hold it, I'm on the cover. If I can find a way to bring him down, I'll do it. But my priority is to find Joey's killer. Killers. He's super. How in the hell did you get that job? It's a long story. I have friends in old places. Just wanted you to know what's going on. Oh, sorry about Joey. He's quiet. He was one of the best computer techs I ever knew. He was sort of our mascot, Rook told him. He missed, we missed him around the camp, his face said and all. Revenge is a bad motive, but justice is a good one. Did you help Carson fight somebody to a crocodile? He said suddenly. Rook just stared at him. That one dark eye, he just said. Elegant, Haynes pronounced and laughed. All right, I won't pry. Good thing, I'm always discreet, he said. I'll take my leave. I just wanted to let you know that I'm looking for evidence. If I find the culprit or culprits, will you have them prosecuted? You bet your life I will, he said. That's all I ask. If you can get them to cross, come across the border voluntarily, he said with a sign. Extradition is a pain in the, well, in an unmentionable spot. I can guarantee they'll turn themselves in, exactly smiles like. Because the alternative will be so very, very messy. Don't you go feeding paper to alligators around here, he said, wiggling his finger at the man. You don't have any alligators around here, and shrugged. Well, if we ever do, Rook just laughed. Haynes went home and told Manette what he'd gotten from Rook. How about Carly, she asked. Have you talked to her? Yes, I have. Cash Cryer got an artist. He knows to make the drawing of the man she saw. It's in my dress drawer. Did it jog your memory? Yes. Sadly, no. <laughs> he said, you know, 
I think I may be getting old. She slid her arms around and pressed close. Haynes, you'll never get old. Think so. She reached up and bent him softly on the airlock. The kids are in school. Aunt Sarah's gone to the grocery store. We are about 45 minutes. Haynes! He backed her into the wall, stripped her from the waist down, dropped the slacks, and went into her without a second hesitation. She hung there, shocked, delighted, shivering at the instant passion he killed her. I read about this and a book. He whispered as he pushed into her, moving his hips so that she began to move. It was the most erotic thing I ever read, so I thought, why not try it? <laughs> his voice trailed off as the desire blazed, a fever pitch. He thrust down into her soft body, his face rigid with knee, his body corded like wood as he moved on her. She arched toward him, unbuttoning her shirt, unhooking her bra, then unfastening the buttons on his shirt. With trembling hands, she rubbed her bare breast against his chest as he built the rhythm until he was buffeting her so hard that the picture on the wall began to Hates? She went, old hates? Yes, baby, yes. He was, yes. Now, he moved so hard and so fast that she climaxed instantly and shuddered with a fever over it while he thrust into her again and again until finally his own body corded and convulsed. His groan at her ear was anguish, but she knew that pleasure. Not pain provoked it. They clung to each other in the aftermath, shivering, damp with sweat, still hungry. Not enough, he said through his teeth. Not enough, she agreed breathlessly. She picked up the street clothes and walked up the staircase, bare to the waist, with Haynes right behind her. They made it to the bedroom. Behind a locked door, he laid her down on the bed and slid over her, his mouth anguished on her hard-tipped breast as he began to rouse her all over again. She cried out when he went into her, still burning for her, still hungry and insatiable. She looked at his face the whole time, her eyes open, so that he could see the pleasure he was giving her with a quick, hard thrust of his hips. It's... Never enough, she whispered shakily. No, and it doesn't last. Oh, God, he groaned and began to shake, too. Yes, he whispered, pushing up, helping him. Yes, yes, <laughs> he cried out, his lean body arching, his face contorted, and ran as he shuddered and shuddered with fulfillment. She went with him all the way, her body so tuned to his that every thrust brought her higher and higher and higher, till the tension burst, and she convulsed under him. They lay together, shuddered, and tangled damp flesh. I can't ever get enough of you, Mrs. Carson, he whispered hoarsely. He kissed her tenderly, his lips gently probing her. I want so badly to make you pregnant. She laughed breathlessly and kissed him back. We have all the time in the world. When it happens, it happens. Well, he said, lifting himself, looked down at her proud, with proud, hungry eyes. And what we did downstairs didn't accomplish it. This might. She lifted her eyebrows. You can't do it three times in a row. Eased down on her, which he carried a bet on that. He chuckled, and when he went into her, she realized that, yes, he could do it three times in a row, but she was much too involved to say so. A few weeks later, she started throwing up while at the office. She went straight to the sheriff's office after she stopped by Dr. Luke Coltrane's office for a pregnancy test. Uh, I'm sorry to give him. <sighs> Haynes was filing out, filling out a form. He looked up at the internet. Well, hello, gorgeous. He said it was going are we going out to lunch together? She went around the desk, turned to a swivel chair, and sat down on the I can't go to lunch. I'm sick. Sick? What do they call it? She asked what memory left. Oh, yes. Morning sickness. That's it. Morning sickness. <laughs> His expression was impossible to describe. He was torn between delight and pride and wonder. We're pregnant. <laughs> he whispered to her. Yes, I had a test. It's positive. We're pregnant. He kissed her with a dignity. We'll have three children.
What a magical gear it's going to be. <laughs> she sounded snow gloves. Yes, she agreed. Smiled and pulled her closer. After all they'd been through, this was like the rainbow after the storm. The kiss after the cut. He told her so. She looked at him with soft interest. It's been a long, hard road to get here. Not a, but then, it's not the destination, baby. It's the journey. She grinned. Some journey. Some journey. Suppose we go by Barber's Cafe and get you some pickles and strawberry ice cream for lunch. She teased. She made a face at him. What a horrible combination. What would you like, then? A thick chocolate milkshake and an order of french fries. She decided. Bad girl. Any protein for our baby. You patted her somewhat gently. Milkshakes have milk. There's your protein. She laughed. But I'll settle for a nice cold crisp salad. In that case, I'll take you to lunch. Nice of you. He got up and framed her face and began. Nothing's too good for my best girl. He was just. But no fries. She said, okay, no fries. Took her in and let her out the door. His mind was full of dreams. Of the coming child of a shared future. She was feeling much the same. It was going to be the biggest adventure of her life. Having a child born of her own body. I have alternative motives. He said when they got to the crowded cafe. You do? But I asked, what are they? Wait and see. He opened the door, walked into the full dining room, grinned and said, Make way for my pregnant lady. And everybody laughed to cheer. Ains looked down at him in its amused face and grinned again. I just saved us the trouble of sending out birth announcements. She burst out laughing, and then she kissed him. Then their friends and neighbors looked up, looked to him with real affection, and gave them a standing ovation. End of the book. I told you. Super rancy, super cute. Hope you enjoyed the book.